Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about advice. And um, it's not probably a typical type of a, a sermon or something that I typically do, but that's what the text is this morning. So we're going to talk about advice. Um, so I have, I have three kids, and you may know that about me. Uh, one of the things I discovered whenever we had our first kid, and if you have any kids, you probably discovered this as well, is that there are so many different opinions and, and piece of, pieces of advice out there whenever it comes to raising kids, right? Especially whenever you have your first kid, everybody's got some kind of advice they want to give you. Uh, even experts, right? And so I thought it'd be fun to kind of look at some things that have just, um, some different advice that's changed over, over time. Here's a few examples of how advice for parents has, has changed. When I was a baby, um, parents were told to place their child in their crib at night on their stomach, right? On their stomach because that way if, you, if the baby spits up or something like that, it doesn't choke and whatnot. So place the baby on their stomach and then, you know, you got to make sure they have a baby blanket or like stuffed animals and things like that in their crib with them, right? If you do that today, people are going to look at you like you don't love your children, right? There's not supposed to be any stuffed animals, no blankets, nothing, and you're supposed to lay them on their back. Like, that's a complete 180 change from what the advice used to be. You with me? Another one is uh, peanuts. So just three years ago, whenever we had our um, last child, people were saying that peanuts were like the kryptonite to babies. Like, do not even get, like, if you have any peanuts in your house, you need to bug bomb the house or do something, get all the peanuts out of the house, because that thing could be just detrimental to this, to this child. Now, experts are actually saying that you are supposed to, like, introduce peanuts uh, to babies, like, see if they can become friends or something. Like, there's actually recipes, things like that, where you can introduce peanuts, because they say, if you do that, then maybe they won't develop uh, severe allergies to them. So that's a big difference, which is it, right? <laughs> I feel like we should know. Uh, I need, well, we need some clear advice on that. Um, another one is, is this. Experts, and I read several articles on this, experts used to actually, I, I just thought this was something my grandma would say, right? But experts used to actually say that if a baby has teething issues or if they have a cough, to give them whiskey, right? <laughs> whiskey or kerosene. Right, kerosene. For a co- now, if you're like, what is, what is kerosene? Um, kerosene is, according to the internet, a combustible hydrocarbon liquid which is derived from petroleum. It's used to fuel aviation, right? So let's be like, let's be clear, okay? I feel like we can be settled on this issue of advice here. Today, don't give your babies alcohol or jet fuel, right? Like that, that's bad advice, right? And so advice is everywhere. There's good advice, there's bad advice, and God wants us to be teachable. He wants us to be teachable. He wants us to know things. Proverbs 13.10 says, arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. I want you to remember that verse because it's going to come in uh, useful to us as we get into our text this morning. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take 
advice, right? See, in life, you're gonna hear all the time both good advice and bad advice because people just love to give it. Even if they're completely unqualified to give advice, they love to give advice. And so you and I, we need to know how to be wise and how to discern good advice from bad advice. What is good for us, what is helpful for us. So that's what we're talking about this morning. If you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. Guys, I don't know if we can bring up the lights at all so we can see our Bibles, but 1 Kings chapter 12. As you're turning there, today we're going to meet a guy named Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the son of King Solomon. And, and so if you've been with us over the last three weeks now, we started this series in 1 Kings where we're talking about um, just going through the history of Israel. The last three weeks we're on King Solomon, but last week we saw that King Solomon turned from the Lord and he um, is, the Lord says he's gonna tear the kingdom away from him, right? He says, I'm gonna tear the kingdom away from you. That's a consequence for your sin, for turning away from me. And then Solomon dies. Okay, and so today we start with Rehoboam. He's the son, he's the next in line, he's the next king of Israel, Solomon's son. He's been trained, he's, he's the successor to be the king. But day one on the job, Rehoboam fails miserably, okay? He, he fails miserably, he is arrogant and he is a terrible leader. And what we're gonna see today is the split of the kingdom of Israel into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, okay? Before we do that, I want us to pray. So I'm gonna pray for us, and why don't you just take a second and ask God to speak to you in this moment. Let's pray. God, we just wanna pause and ask you in this moment to speak to us through your word. God, I pray that, that you would speak loudly and clearly, that, that this would be nothing that I would have to say, but everything that you would have to say to us this morning. Would you help us in this text to see areas of our lives that need to change, where we need more wisdom, um, where, where we need to submit to you, and would you help us to have the boldness and the courage to do that. We love you and we're listening. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, First Kings chapter 12. Let's read this, just the first few verses. We'll stop and talk and we'll keep progressing through, through the text. So First Kings 12, verse one. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Okay, they'd gone there to make him the king. This is coronation type of a thing. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, it sounds like they're brothers, but they're not, all right? Jeroboam was a servant of Solomon. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Jeroboam heard about it. He stayed in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence. Jeroboam stayed in Egypt, but they summoned him and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam and, and they said this to King Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke harsh. You, therefore, lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam replied, go away for three days and then return to me. So the people left. All right, let's pause right there and let's kind of set the scene of what's happening. So this is the coronation event for King Rehoboam and, and the, the kingdom that he's going to establish. And it says that all of Israel, all 12 tribes of Israel have, had come to this place called Shechem. It's, a, it's an important place uh, throughout Old Testament history. Don't have time to get into that. But they go there to, to make him officially the king. And it says all Israel had gone. So they're ready to crown him king, okay? They're ready to do it. They just have one request and it's in verse four. 
Your father made our yoke harsh, all right? This is talking about heavy taxation, heavy forced labor that Solomon put on the people in order to build up the infrastructure and build all the things that he did, all right? He taxed them heavily, he forced them to work. We know that from chapter four and chapter five of 1 Kings. And they said, you therefore lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. So their request is basically this, hey, treat us fairly. We're not asking for you to like completely take, take the taxes away. We're not asking you to take the labor away. We're fine with that. We like the things that you've built, but just lighten the load, right? He put on these heavy, heavy things. So just treat us fairly is what they're asking. And Rehoboam takes three days to decide and he seeks advice from two groups. This is the part in the passage where Rehoboam really gets it right. He seeks advice, he seeks counsel, which is a wise thing to do. But he seeks advice from two groups of people, the elders and these young punks, right? These young men. And the advice that they give is completely different. And I want us to look at both this morning and examine like what we can kind of take from this and what we can apply to our own lives. So first, let's look at the elders' advice. Look at verse six. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive. Okay? So who, who are these elders first? Before we get into what they, what they tell Rehoboam, who are they? The point of this passage is not just listen to the old people because the young people are dumb. Okay? It'd be really easy to read this and kind of take that from it. That's not, that's not the point of what's happening here. There, there may be some wisdom in, in that, but that's not the point here. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse two, tells us who these people are. It says, at that time, Solomon assembled at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, and it tells us who they are. They are all the tribal heads and the ancestral chiefs of the Israelites. Okay, so there's these 12 tribes in Israel, and, and, and these elders are the people, the representatives from each of those tribes. They're the, they're the leaders of each of those tribes, and Solomon actually put those people together to help him make decisions, all right? So these are older, wiser men that Solomon assembled, and they're the leaders of the different tribes. So they're not just like, just random old dudes. They're not just random people that just because of their age, they must be wiser or they, they, they can give advice. No, these guys have experience, they have insight, they have historical information, like they, they, they know, have knowledge of the tribes. They are a valuable asset to a leader. And, and in leadership, when you're making any kind of decision, man, you want as much information as you can get, right? That's just wise. And so these people are a valuable asset to him. Like they know the ins and outs of how things have, have worked. So, so this is a gift that he has these people to lean on. And what are they telling him to do? Look at verse seven. They replied, today, if you will be a servant to this people and serve them, and if you respond to them by speaking kind words to them, listen, they will be your servants forever. So the tribal leaders are saying, if you'll just be kind, if you'll be a servant to them, they will serve you. Basically, treat them well, and they will treat you well. Serve them, they'll serve you. Be kind to them, they'll be kind to you. And, and this is good advice, right? This is good advice, even for us to live by. Show them grace and show them love. And so like a really easy application point out of this text is this. 
take the elder's advice. Like live this way, serve others, treat them kindly, say nice, ta- nice things to them. But I want us to go a little bit deeper than that because I think you would probably recognize this as good advice, right? Like we would look at this and go, that's, that, he should do that. that, that's good advice. And the reason you hear that is because you've been around Bible enough to go, well that's good advice because it sounds like the rest of the Bible, right? It sounds like the rest of what we're supposed to do. I mean, Romans, um, Romans 12, nine and 10, it says, uh, let your love be genuine. Like love one another with brotherly affection and it says this, outdo one another in showing honor, right? So this is a principle in the Bible that we see and, and likely the elders would have been thinking of it as well. So some Old Testament stuff that they may have been thinking about. Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18. Perhaps this is what they were thinking when they gave this advice. God says this, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Paul in the New Testament, he summarizes the commandments this way. He says in, in Romans 13, nine, the commandments such as do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Literally, there's hundreds of passages we could pull in and talk about this morning. We just don't have time. But hundreds of passages that talk about serving others, loving others, that's the way that we are instructed to live, right? And so the point I want us to hear is that's what good advice does. That's what good advice does. It steers us from ourselves and it points us to the truth of scripture. That's what, that's what the elders are doing here. So look, there, there's a lot of beneficial advice out there, right? There's ideas and tips that, that you and I have found that are helpful in how we parent or how we budget or how we diet or how we do all of these different things. And all of those, all of those are good. But as Christians, As followers of Jesus, we should be seeking and giving advice that ultimately is rooted in scripture and pushes people toward Jesus, right? As Christians, we should be seeking and giving advice that ultimately is rooted in scripture and that pushes towards Jesus because Colossians 2.3 says that Jesus is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3, in him, Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so here's the deal. Like practical advice that, that worked for us, although it's good, and, and feel free to share it, it may not work for everybody else. How you got your kid to sleep at night may not work for your friend, right? There, it, 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 there's tons of books on that subject alone, how to get your kids to sleep at night, right? And so what you did may not work. The, the tips that you have for managing finances may not work for your for your friend, but the wisdom of God's word is always beneficial, always, no matter the situation or the person. So reminding them of who they are because of what Christ has done is life-giving and will do what a thousand self-help books can never do, right? Reminding them that God takes care of the sparrows might just be the thing to ease their worries when finances are tough. Reminding them that God made them, that he loves them, that he redeemed them, and that he works in them is what they need to hear when work is stressful or when life is overwhelming. Do you see that? Always, we always point to scripture. So I'm not saying that that we should never give practical advice, but don't give advice apart from the wisdom that's only found in Jesus. 
practical tips are not the savior that you or your friends need to make life better. Draw from scripture, point to Christ, because that's where real, lasting, and life-changing wisdom is found, right? So that's good advice. And so I want you to ask yourself this morning, who are those elders in your life that you can trust, that, that give good advice, people who care about you, people who have experience and insight, people who, who have earned the right to be heard, people who have your best interests in mind, and people who will point you to scripture. Do you have those people around you? Right? Do you have those people that you can, you can trust? Is that not what the church is to be, right? That you have leaders and you have pastors and you have your small group uh, to come around you and be that kind of advice for you. People that are constantly pushing you towards scripture, pushing you towards Christ. I I know I sound like a broken record because I'm constantly pushing small groups, but I can't stress enough the importance of being in a small group, being surrounded by people who, who know you, who have experience, and that you can lean on when things get tough. Too many times though, just to be honest with you, as a pastor, most people wait until everything's blown up before they come to you with advice, right? They wait until everything is completely destroyed instead of coming at the beginning and saying, man, I'm kind of struggling with this. What, what do you think? And allowing brothers and sisters to walk alongside you, point you to scripture, say, what, what, is, what does Christ have to say about this? That's what we need in our life. That's what good advice, that's what good, good advice does, right? So who are those people? Who are those people for you? If you don't have those people, I would encourage you to find them. You know, get in a small group. Find those people around you that you can trust to give you good advice. So that's the elder's advice. Let's look at the young men's advice. Let's look at verse eight. Look at verse eight with me. But he rejected the advice of the elders who had advised him and he consulted with the young men who had grown up with him. He consulted with the young men who had grown up with him. So, so <laughs> who are these young men, right? These are just the dudes he went to high school with. <laughs> these are just the dudes that he maybe was in college with or something like that. And now on his first day as king, these are the guys he's asking for advice on how to run a kingdom. Listen, the guys that I grew up with <laughs> are some of the last guys I would ask for any kind of advice, right? I'm sure they're great guys. I'm sure they've matured. I'm sure they're very successful now. I love them. But in my mind, they're still the guys in high school who are, you know, jumping out of the classroom window when the teacher has their back turned and and going to Sonic, right? These are the guys who are accidentally setting their dad's shed on fire or the guys who are blowing out the power, uh, the power steering in their Ford Taurus, ramping it on Clear Pond Road, right? These are all just random examples, right? These are just random. But I'm not trusting those guys. These are just dudes from from high school. And so it's not necessarily their age in this story. Rehoboam is 41 years old whenever he becomes the king. So it's not necessarily their age, but these guys don't have any experience. They don't have any insight or information. They're just excited to have a seat close to power. This is not the group to take advice from. I think that's clear, right? This is not the group to take advice from. What was their advice? Let's look at it. Do you remember the the request that they made? Hey, lighten the load on us and we will serve you. That's what Israel asked. Look at their advice. Verse 10. 
the young men who had grown up with him told him, this is what you should say to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Although my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. <laughs> right? It's like, if you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about, is basically their advice. Their advice is flex your power, be more harsh than your father, don't just use regular old whips, use the ones with shards of metal in them. That's bad advice, right? We can clearly all see that, right? That that is, that is bad advice. That's not the best way for a new leader to win over the hearts of his people. So it's clear, like, there's good advice and there is bad advice. Today, I think we see a ton of bad advice in our world, right? We see a ton of it. And it should be pretty obvious just like this as well. Here's a popular piece of bad advice that we get today. Our world today tells us that dating couples should live together before marriage to test drive the car before you buy it. Or they might even say that it just makes good money sense to, to live together uh, before you're married or, or that you should, you should make sure that you're really compatible, right? The problem with that is, is it goes against God's good plan for marriage, you know? And so, so that's, that's bad advice. And there's so many examples of that. Like we could just walk through the things that culture tells us, hey, here's a good piece of advice. It just makes sense or whatever. But whenever you compare it to what scripture says, you're like, that, that doesn't sound right. That sounds off. And so bad advice is, is everywhere. And so we can't just like shut it off. We can't just like dig a hole and hide in it. We, what we need to be able to do is to be able to discern between good advice and bad advice, right? How do we do that? There's another bad piece of advice that says whenever you're trying to discern something, just trust your gut. Have you ever heard that? Just trust, trust, your, trust your gut. Unfortunately though, our guts are bad decision makers. Just a couple weeks ago, I told you we were out in Anaheim, California for the SBC annual meeting. And while we were out there, we went to this place called the Cheesecake Factory. You know what I'm talking about? You've been to the Cheesecake Factory? It's good stuff, right? But all of their plates, every single thing on their menu is good, but it's all just tons of, tons of calories, huge portions. But when you go to the Cheesecake Factory, you have to get a piece of cheesecake, right? I mean, it's in the title. And so the lady came over and she said, do you want some cheesecakes? Like, yeah, of course. And so she brought the menu by. And as I'm looking through the menu, have you noticed how they started to print like all the, all the calories for every meal in menus? Don't you hate that? Uh, so I started looking through like all the different calories and uh, here's what I found. The ultimate red velvet cheesecake clocks in at 1,540 calories. 1,540 calories, which if you're wondering, is the equivalent of three McDonald's double cheeseburgers and a pack of Skittles, right? That's a lot of calories after you've just eaten 3,000 calories of whatever you, you ate. So you're supposed to eat that after you finish your meal and you leave feeling miserable and hurting, right? And so this trust your gut idea can get us in a lot of trouble. And that's what we see with Rehoboam. Like he trusts his gut and, and it doesn't work, work out. So who does he listen to? Let's look at verse 12. So Rehoboam and all the people came, or so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had ordered. Then the king answered the people harshly. He rejected the advice of the elders 
and spoke to them according to the young men's advice. He said, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with barbed whips. See, Rehoboam went with the bad advice. Why? It was so clear, it's so obvious. Why would, why would he do that? I think it's because he heard what he wanted to hear out of the bad advice. He was arrogant, he was selfish. He said, I'm the man now, I'm the, I'm the king, I do what I want, I have the power. And remember what his dad Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13.10, arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Or if we reverse that, right? If you don't take advice, there's no wisdom and it will lead to strife because of your arrogance, right? And that's what happens. Israel splits. Israel splits in this moment. Verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king had not listened to them, the people answered him, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Israel, return to your tents. David, now look after your own house. So Israel went to their tents. Talking about how they just left, but Rehoboam reigned over Israelites living in the city of Judah. So what happens if you have, you have two tribes that remain in the south in Judah, 10 tribes that are in the north now in what's called Israel, and they're divided. Jeroboam becomes the king of the north. Rehoboam becomes the king of the south. And he does something really goofy. He sends his leader of forced labor, <laughs> right? Remember, that was one of their concerns. You're forcing us labor. He, he sends the guy in charge of forced labor to go to the north to get some taxes or something from him, and they stone him to death. So there's a very real divide that happens, and verse 19 says, Israel is still in rebellion. So man, understand the importance of the voices that you allow to speak in your life. They have the power to build and they have the power to destroy. That's what we see here in this passage this morning, the importance of the voices that you allow to speak. When uh, Bob Dylan was writing probably his most famous record called, called Blood on the Tracks, this album went double platinum, Rolling Stone has it in their top 10 of albums of all time, right? Critics and fans both say that that is a great album. Whenever Bob Dylan was recording that album, he had to deal with a junior recording engineer, basically an intern, who explained to him that he was going about the process of recording all wrong. This intern's telling Bob Dylan that, that he's doing it wrong, and Bob Dylan listened for a while and finally said, you know, if I had done all the stuff that people told me I was supposed to do, I might be somewhere by now, right? Who you listen to matters. And so the application for us this morning, the application is this, who are you listening to? Who in your life are you listening to? Who do you allow to speak into your life? What are you allowing to shape you? Are you allowing culture to shape you? Or are you allowing feelings to shape you? Or are you allowing scripture to shape you and then ask yourself, are you being pushed towards selfishness or are you being pushed towards Christ? So that's some pretty easy application for us to wrestle with this morning. That's the story. I wanna show you as we close two theological truths out of this passage this morning. First is this, God is in control always. God is always in control. Look at verse 15. The king did not listen to the people because this turn of events came from the Lord to carry out his word. 
In chapter 11, verses 29 through 39, if you get bored this afternoon, you can read, read that. There's a prophet that tells Jeroboam that he is going to be the king when Israel and Judah split. And so that happens back in chapter 11, and it all happens because of Solomon's sin, the consequences from whenever Solomon turned from the Lord, right? God told him, I'm gonna tear the kingdom away from you. And so here we see it happening. And in this passage, just like we see throughout scripture, we see this tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And there's this tension that just seems to hold itself all throughout the Bible, and we see it here as well. Like, God didn't violate Rehoboam's will. The young king made his own stupid decision, but it didn't surprise God. He wasn't surprised at all. In fact, he uses it to accomplish his purposes. And that's the main point of this text, I believe, is that God is ultimately in control. Proverbs 21.1, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. The Lord directs it where he chooses. And so God is, is in control. And so for you and for me, that should humble us as we recognize that God reigns supremely over everything. And so we humble ourselves before him and we trust him, right? So God is in control always. And the second theological truth that I want you to see is that this story points towards a better king. This story points towards a better king. This story clearly shows us that we need a better king, one who isn't oppressive, one who is not selfish, and one who is a unifier. That's our King Jesus, who, who, who lives the good advice that the elders gave. He came as a servant. Mark, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. He is the servant king who washes the feet of his friends. He's the servant king who spends time with children and women. He's the servant king who willingly stepped in to take our punishment and laid down his life for us. He's the servant king who, while dying on the cross, he prays for those who are crucified. He says, Father, forgive them. That's who our King Jesus is. Completely different, completely other than worldly kings who are selfish, worldly kings who divide. And through Jesus' death and his resurrection, he reunites creation back with the creator. He unites God's people in truth and in love. He's not a divider, he's a uniter. And so how does he, how does he do that? Scripture says it's by his kindness. Remember, that's what they were asking for. Just, just be, kind, like, be kind to us, right? Scripture says it's, it's Christ's kindness that leads us to repentance and to salvation. Right, Romans 2.4, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, Jesus is the loving and kind servant king. And you can trust him because he's the source of all wisdom. He's the source of good advice. You can base your life on him, right? And so my question for you is, do you know him? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. 
We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.